It's good to see you. It's good to see all our kids in here. It is good to know that you are with us. We know that um, normally on Sunday mornings, they're downstairs with Ellie and Vincent and Lane and cast of characters, parents that cycle in and out. And we are thankful and grateful for um, Ellie and her direction in our children's ministry and the way that she leads our kids. And so it's always exciting, though, when we get an opportunity to be together like this on Sunday morning. So we're glad that you're here. And we're in the midst of a series of messages that we're calling Can I Ask That? And it's basically where you um, and people that have been in our church over the last few weeks have asked questions that you would like answers to or you would like discussed in a sermon. Maybe you know the answer to it, but you think this is something we haven't talked about enough. And so um, we're doing that over these next few weeks. We've been a couple of weeks in and we're going to go through the month of May with the Can I Ask That series of questions. And so last week we thought, well, since it's going to be family worship this week, why don't we let the kids ask some questions? And so Ellie and Children's Worship last week gave them the opportunity to ask some questions on their own. And let me tell you, first of all, that uh, their questions were a little different than the adult questions up here. Now, primarily they were different because nobody, well, I won't say nobody, like one person signed their question up here. Like it was anonymous. You put it in the box. I don't have a clue who it is. Almost every single one of the kids signed their questions like, we are proud of these things. We want people to know. And so I won't give their names out here, although when I read it, some of them may act in a way that you know that it's theirs. But I thought I'd read some of the questions the kids had uh, for us, all right, or for me. Like the first one is, and some of these, by the way, are good, deep questions. Some of them are kind of mind-bending questions. I didn't get a, did Adam and Eve have a belly button, although that can twist you in knots. When you think about it for a little bit, all right? I didn't get any of that. Some of you won't listen to anything else I say the rest of the sermon. So you're going to try to figure that out. So the first question was, well, what does God look like anyways? Right? Does God control the weather? Better question might be if he controls the thermostat in this church. It's been a little cool around here today, all right? If we always need to tell people about Jesus and God... I forget sometimes. What do you do on the second floor upstairs anyways? <laughs> this is it. Aren't you excited? Right? Does God keep his promises or not? How do we, and then we, then we have some of these. How do we know God is real? How do we know we are saved? How can God be the same as Jesus? How do you truly believe? And then the last one is, what does it feel like to be baptized? Those are some good questions, right? In fact, some of the bigger questions. When I opened it up to adults, there were many of you that asked big questions. Many of you that, that asked me deeper questions. But there were also some people that were doing some kind of insignificant, not insignificant, but smaller kind of details they wanted to know. Those are big life questions. And so I thought we'd take one of those topics today and talk about it. The last one, baptism. And here's the reason I wanted to talk about it for a couple of reasons. First, because it was a question asked to me. Secondly, because I've been with you now for almost 11 years as your pastor. Now, some of you have been here for every moment of that and you're feeling it, all right? Some of you are new to it. Some of you have been here just a few months, or this is the first time. But I've been here almost 11 years, which means I've preached somewhere over 500 sermons on Sunday morning in this church. 
That's a lot. All right. And because my sermons are all like 10 minutes each, it's not a lot of time. Right. Okay, so maybe they're five, four times that long. All right. So that's a lot. But as I look back over my sermons, there is a topic on which I don't think I've ever done a full message on. Baptism. And it's an important thing to talk about. Now, I've talked about baptism in the midst of other messages, but not as a singular message. And it's important. In fact, I was looking at, because this is what um, pastor nerds do sometimes, I was looking at the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 this week, which is a theological doctrine document about what Baptist churches generally believe. I know all of you do research on that every week, but that's what I was doing this week. And this is what is defined as a church. By the way, that's one sentence. Okay. And so it says the New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ, governed by his laws, exercising, exercising the gifts, rights and privileges invested in them by his word and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. Whoo! I just lost all the kids. All right. But in the middle of that is a phrase that is central to the whole thing. It's a group of baptized believers. And if as we define a church, it is made up of baptized believers. And it's important every once in a while, I guess every 11 years, to remind ourselves the fullness of what baptism is about. So that's what I want to do today. I want to answer some questions like, why is baptism so important? What do we, who should be baptized? Why are we baptized? How should we baptize? When should we be baptized? And I want to do that by looking first at an understanding of the importance of it. If you've got a Bible with you today, and I hope you do, we're going to be starting in Acts chapter 2. Now let me tell you, because of the nature of the message today, because of the nature of what's happening in the book of Acts and in this discussion of baptism, there's no one place that you are going to find all the information you want on baptism. And so in Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to start. We're going to be over over the place. If you don't have a Bible, you need to bring a Bible with you today. Many of you probably have a phone app. It's okay to pull that out and look at that. Or most of them will be on the screen. If not, I'll kind of tell you where they are. Or in front of you in the pew is a Bible that will be from the same translation that I will be using. And in Acts chapter 2, we have this important moment in the history of the church. Because it's the first sermon that has been preached since Jesus went back to heaven. And as the sermon's being preached, Paul, I mean, Paul, Peter is giving a robust sermon about the deity of Jesus Christ, about the fact that Jesus was God, about the fact that they killed Jesus and that he rose again from the grave. And in verse 36 of chapter 2, he finishes his sermon. Or at least he begins to finish his sermon. 36 says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So he gives evidence, 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 evidence. And then he says, so this is our conclusion. That God has made Jesus Lord and Messiah. This is who you were looking for. This is the one that Jesus has become the Messiah. He was the Messiah. He is the Lord. This is what we have been waiting on. And they say when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart 
And said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Now remember, while all this is happening, the apostles are speaking and people are hearing them in their own languages. It's a miraculous thing happening. Peter is giving the message. It's being kind of interpreted all kinds of places. People are hearing it in their own language. And they say to them, what do we do? And so I want to stop there for a minute and think about the tension of this moment. So the apostles have been walking with Jesus for three and a half years when Jesus is crucified and risen again on Sunday. They spend 40 days with Jesus learning all that they can learn for this mission that God has given them to go to literally the ends of the earth telling people that Jesus is Lord. And as they've gathered there, they're listening to Jesus on that last day. As he ascends into heaven, he tells them to go and wait. And they don't know how long they're going to wait. We know it's ten days. They don't know it's ten days. They don't know if it's ten minutes, ten days, ten months, ten years. They know that God has told them to wait. And so they do. And then the Spirit comes upon them in a way that has never happened in the history of the earth. They walk outside And they are so fired up that everybody there thinks they're drunk. That's what they ask them. Because they can't contain the excitement that is in them. And they begin to preach. And Peter gives this amazing sermon about Jesus Christ. And he gets to this moment and they say, now what do we do? One of my first experiences preaching on an extended basis was when I was camp pastor over 20 years ago for Cross Point Sports Camps. And the first couple of weeks of Cross Point Sports Camps, we had small camps. In fact, we went to um, Walnut Ridge, Arkansas, and our first week of camp, we had 20, like 15 to 20 staff total, everybody there, and we had um, 48 campers. That's a pretty good staff-to-camper ratio, right? We didn't have a very big one. The second week, they didn't have enough to make camp, so we went on a mission trip to Grand Isle, Louisiana, as a cross-point sports team, and did mission trip camps for them, and they fed us Cajun food they had caught out of the ocean every night. It's unbelievable. Literally catch the shrimp, jambalaya, within three hours. Third week, we go from this camp that had 45 kids to no camp doing camp, doing a mission camp to the middle of Texas where we are now at the largest cross point camp to that point in history. We were not prepared for that. Now I will tell you, some of you know here, my love for bluebell ice cream. Right? Around here we say that if those that love Jesus bring bluebell, those that don't bring something else, alright? Well, that comes from the fact that at that camp, Brenham, Texas was there and they brought pints of Bluebell for the staff for everybody to have. Phenomenal. So the night of the invitation for that particular, um, for that particular camp, I, I preached the first week. I'd had no response. I was 21 years old, preaching camp, no response. Second week, we did mission camp, no response. Third week, I preached the message that I preached that night um, that was supposed to be the salvation message was on Zacchaeus. And I climbed a ladder. Some of you have seen me. I've actually done that here, but it's been a long time. Climbed a 10-foot ladder and preached from the top of the ladder. Like Zacchaeus in the tree. And then my, my invitation at that night was, some of you need to come out of your tree and go with Jesus. And I said, how many of you are willing to come out of that tree? And I prayed, and I walked down front, 
And I waited and nobody came. And I waited and nobody came. And then one girl from the back started to walk down front. I was like, yes. Felt like, you know, the shepherd that had found the one, right? I was rejoicing. And I remember specifically the way they did it then was I prayed with them and then I sent them to counselors. Now that I don't, pastor didn't go down there at those camps, but I prayed with them and sent them to counselors. And I remember when I opened up and looked, there were 25 kids staring at me that had all come down for salvation in that moment. It was an unbelievable moment for me. Now, here's the thing. It's an unbelievable moment in the history of my ministry. When Peter gets through, we're going to find out in a minute, he's got 3,000 wanting to know. And they say, what do we do? This sets a precedent for the rest of history. Right? First Christian message, 3,000 people ready to respond. And what does he tell them? Next verse. Peter replied, repent. Give your life to Jesus Christ and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. He says, repent, give your life to Jesus and then show that by being baptized in his name. And the reason baptism is so important, and we're going to break this down in just a minute a little bit more, but the reason it's so important is because it identifies us with Jesus. When I talk to kids and they ask me about baptism and they, we talk about, you know, when you, when you go into our baptistry, there is nothing special about the water in there. It's water like you can drink out of a water fountain or you can get out of the bathtub at your home. It is a little warmer. We do have a warmer back there. And so, but it's not like holy water from a holy river somewhere out east, right? I mean, it is, Regular water. And so it's not the water that makes a difference. And, and we believe, we'll talk about this more in a minute, that it's not, salvation isn't found in the water. And so I say to kids, this is your identification that you are on Team Jesus. And it's not a great illustration, but I use it a lot anyways, that it's like you've put on the jersey for Jesus' team and that's who you're playing for. So right now, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan, and unfortunately, they've lost two games in a row to Casey Oliver's Pittsburgh Pirates, all right? And there is no doubt in our relationship, Casey and I are friends, but there's no doubt in our relationship that he is a Pirates fan, and I'm a Cardinals fan, and we can agree on everything about the gospel, but for these three days, we're going to be rooting against each other's team, just the way it is. And, I mean, the Cardinals have beat them so much over the last hundred years that every once in a while, it's good to let them win, all right? And being baptized is identifying with Jesus that this is the team I'm a part of. And what Paul, Peter tells them here is, it's important because you're saying, I'm going to give my life to following Jesus. We need to understand that baptism is one of those things that worldwide is dangerous. It's not dangerous for us here, but it is dangerous. David Platt, who's the president of the International Mission Board, says that he remembers being in an Asian country, teaching in an underground house church, talking about baptism. And he was in that place when they began to talk about friends of theirs that had been baptized. It had been seen by the government and the government had taken their lives. And while they were there, two brothers said, well, we're ready. 
And so they got them ready to be baptized. And this is the question they asked them. When we have people in our baptistry, y'all have been around, y'all know the question I asked them, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And that's all I ask. This is the question that these guys were asked as they're getting ready to be baptized. Are you willing to be baptized today knowing that it may cost your life? The first brother said, I've already sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. I want to be baptized. The second brother was a teenager and he said, when asked, are you willing to be baptized today knowing that it may cost you your life? He says, Jesus is my Lord. Whenever he says do, I will do. So it's important. As we think about it, I want to answer five questions very quickly today to help us to understand it a little bit better. And I'm going to be jumping around because it's all over the New Testament. I'll give you, if you've got a pen or paper with you, write these down. If not, it'll be, this, the sermon will be up if you want to go back and look at it sometime. But I want to just answer five quick questions about baptism. And the first one is, why should I be baptized? And the question is, so why are we baptized? And the Bible really gives us two or three answers. The first is to follow the example of Christ. When Jesus is starting his ministry, he walks up to his cousin John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist is baptizing in the river. And as he's putting people in and out of the river for repentance, suddenly Jesus walks up and Jesus says, it's my turn. And John goes, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Like, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, this is what it must be. I must do this to fulfill all things. I must do this basically as an act of obedience. And then... John the Baptist baptizes Jesus as he's coming out of the water. The spirit like a dove descends and the voice of God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's a significant moment at the inauguration, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And what he's saying there is the reason that he's been baptized is because if John was baptizing people that needed their sins forgiven, Jesus didn't need any sins forgiven. And so the question is, why is he being baptized? And the easy answer for that, or the biblical answer for that, is he is showing us an example of that he is identifying with us as someone who would pay the price for our sins. And he says, as I'm being baptized, you can identify with me by doing the same. The second reason we're baptized is because Jesus told us to. That's at the beginning of his ministry. At the end of his ministry, he says, all authority under heaven has been given to me. And now I tell you to go into all the earth, baptizing men in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we're baptized because God commanded it. Jesus commanded it. We're baptized because it's an example that we're to follow from Jesus. And lastly, we're baptized because it unites us with the family of God. That's not the main reason we get baptized, but it is a reason to be baptized. It unites us with the family of God. Paul says that all of us who are Christians have been unified through the spirit, through a bond of peace, through one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And the idea is that baptism is that thing that shows off to people we identify with Christ. And when you would identify with Christ, when you accept Christ as your Savior, you not only get Jesus, you get us too. And sometimes that's not always good, right? I mean, some people are like, I don't know about that. But the truth is, you accept Jesus, you get the church. Big C church. It's kind of like marriage. When Susan and I got married... I became, she became a Larson, I became a Jet. I'm not talking about it name-wise, but I mean, she's a part of the Larson family, I'm a part of the Jet family. When the Jets talk about their family, I am usually included. 
usually included. I'm known as the short one, all right? And Susan's family, if you've never seen Susan's family, some of you see my boys and you're like, man, your boys are tall. They're like Eli's like hovering over you now and Luke's on his way. Yes. And Susan's family, 6'2 is the smallest man. All right. And they go up to 6'7. And my boys apparently got those genes. And so real soon, right now, I'm not the smallest in the whole clan because we have children. But at some point, Luke's going to pass me. Right, Luke? Luke's count, yes, he's very confident in that. Luke's gonna pass me, uh, Cade, or my nephew's gonna pass me, and I'm gonna be the shortest in the family again. But when we got married, it was understood, when I married Susan, I got the whole family. Now I'm fortunate, I have a great family of in-laws. I love my family of in-laws. I love being a part of that family. But whether you like it or not, when you get married, you get the family. I know it's dangerous to amen at that point, but that's truth. The same is with our family of Christ. So what's the meaning of it? So that's why, because we identify with him because he commanded it. But what is the meaning? Well, it's a celebration of what God has already done. Now, I want to be very clear here. Being baptized does not save you. It doesn't make any change of your salvation history. But it does identify that you are celebrating what God has done. You're saying, God has saved me. He has changed my life. And I want everyone to know that. And let's be honest for a minute. There are some people that say, I just don't know about that baptism thing. The reality is, if you don't want to stand and be dunked in some water in light of what Jesus has done for you, I'm not sure you understand what Jesus has done for you. And I mean that as lovingly as I can mean it. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, We died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The point there is we now receive the benefits of that and we want to celebrate it. The second thing is it's a picture of what Jesus did for us. It's a picture of what Jesus did for us. I got a picture um, of my family here, right? Susan's excited because that's the second time she's been on screen today. All right. Um, this is my family. Except that's not really my family. That's a visual representation of my family. Because Eli's right there. And Luke is over there. And Maddie's right there. Yeah, she's excited about mentioning her name. All right. That won't last for long. But she's right there. All right. And Susan's there. And Ava is hopefully not too crazy downstairs somewhere in the preschool area. It's a visual illustration of my family. Baptism is a visual illustration of what Christ did for us. As we are put into the water and raised again out of it, it symbolizes his death on the cross for us. We are identified with Christ in his death to sin, our death to sin. In this picture, You're put down into the earth just as Jesus was put into the tomb. But the good news is when you're baptized, you don't stay under the water long. Maybe some longer than the others, but not long. And you're brought immediately back up just as Jesus did not stay in the grave long, but he comes out of the grave, his resurrection, and it shows us he is alive forevermore. 
And in that way, the meaning of baptism is literally proclaiming the glory of Jesus. One of the things that I do a lot as a pastor, that isn't necessarily a fun thing, but is a significant thing, is I stand next to gravesides a lot. I do funerals for families, for members of this church, for families that have, um, members of the church that have family outside of the church but need someone to do the funeral, or friends that I know in the community or area or from childhood. I do funerals. One of the things when you're a pastor and you do the funeral is that when you get to the graveside, you stand beside the casket where everyone else is in front of you. And so I spend time in my life literally standing next to a casket. There have been a couple of times as I'm standing next to that casket with someone that I know or, or someone that I'm doing the funeral for. And I just get this kind of sense in my heart, this sense in my soul, a declaration from the Lord to me. He is not here. She is not here. And the reason that I can have that understanding standing next to a graveside of a casket of someone who has passed away is because on that first Easter Sunday morning when someone went to the tomb, the stone was rolled away and they said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. And baptism symbolizes that we have been resurrected with Jesus Christ, which means that even when we are absent from the flesh, we are alive forevermore present with the Savior. Baptism is an unbelievable illustration of that. We're proclaiming the goodness of God. Now the next two questions are where we're going to get real Baptist here, alright? We are First Baptist Church, and I understand and I know that we have people from different denominations that are visiting, that are a part of our church, that have been visiting for a while, that have come. We even have people that have joined our church that came from other denominations. And so what you're going to get is very Baptist here, but I think it's biblically based. And I'm not disrespecting other kind of um, religious traditions or other denominations. I just want to tell you what I think biblically this is about. Because this next question is, okay, so how should I be baptized? And the easiest way for me to say this is all the way under. The most biblical mode of baptism, I believe, is immersion. I believe that on pretty good firm ground. First of all, in Scripture, the word baptized literally means to dunk under. To put under. All the way. It means immerse, submerge, dunk. My favorite of those, well, two favorites for different reasons. One is submerge because, first of all, that song from a couple of years ago is in my head from VBS, all right? But secondly, when you think about submerge, when you think about a, a... A submarine submerging, you think, going all the way under. The other one is dunk. Because, and I don't mean, it's not a basketball dunk, but I mean like dunking in something. So, like a dunk booth, someone goes all the way under. Or, my personal favorite, Oreo cookies and milk. Right? Does anybody here eat Oreo cookies without milk? I just need to know so I can pray for you. All right? Daniel Shaw, I'm a, all right, my prayer list expanded. Okay, so when you dunk Oreo cookies in milk, you want it all the way in. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? You want it to soak everything in. You don't want a little bit, you don't want it a little, you know, you want the whole thing in. And biblically, the word 
for baptism means that. There's a modern paraphrase of the Bible that changes the name of John the Baptizer to John the Dunker. Secondly, the reason we, we go all the way under is because that's what Jesus did. The Bible says he went all the way under and then when he came up out of the water. Thirdly, that's what the New Testament Acts writers did. Think about the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. They're out there. They're sharing Jesus, Philip is with the Ethiopian eunuch. He tells them what has to happen and he sees a body of water. He says, can we go now? And he stopped the chariot. They go down to the water. They don't bring the water to him. They go down to the water and he goes all the way under and back up. And lastly, because that's the picture of the gospel. That's what the gospel pictures. Dead in Christ, underneath completely, alive again forevermore. Now, obviously, there are extraordinary circumstances. You can imagine someone on their deathbed, literally, bedridden, stricken in a hospital, near the end of their life that accepts Jesus Christ. And I believe, just as the cross had the thief on the cross who gave his life to Jesus, I believe deathbed confessionals can be real. It's not possible to take him to a lake or to a baptistry and do a baptism. And you can figure out ways. In fact, there are some ways in the early church they talked about in those situations. Theirs were more like you don't have enough water. That's not usually ours. But the picture in the New Testament is always immersion. And then the question be, so who should be baptized? And it's a simple answer for me. It's anyone that has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Anyone. Child, adult, youth, senior adult, young adult, millennial, Gen Xer, baby boomer, Gen Yer, Gen Zer. I don't know what they're going to call Gen Z's followers. Anyone that has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's why at First Baptist Church, when people come to us and talk to us about membership, we love having people be members of our church. We love people joining in to what we're doing. We think God is doing some amazing things here. But one of the prerequisites we have is that you have to be baptized after salvation by immersion. Because that's who we are. And I think that's what the Bible teaches. My interpretation is that's what the Bible teaches. And then the last question is, when? When should I be baptized? And the answer to that is simply, as soon as you can, after you trust in salvation in Jesus. It doesn't save you. It doesn't assure anything. It just is you declaring before the Lord who you are. Saying, hey, listen, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I want to show everyone out there that I've done it. Sometimes when you talk about baptism, you kind of get in this, this, this kind of muddy area and it's, it's rear, you know, I, I grew up in a home where my, I, I mentioned, um, this on our Facebook live on Thursday. I grew up in a home where my, my mom and dad, we both, we attended the Baptist church since I was born, but my dad grew up in a Methodist church. And so my, my dad's mom, my granny, uh, Larson was, um, Methodist. I had, Parts of that family that were Lutheran. I had parts of mom's family that are um, Presbyterian. And so we it's not like we were uh, all like on the same page on this particular issue. And I know that emotions sometimes get on your sleeves and sometimes it, it can be a difficult discussion. 
But what I want us to end with today is just this idea. That baptism is a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. It is essential and joyful. And my guess is if you're sitting here today and you follow Christ and you've not been baptized, you think, man, I got beat up here today. Maybe you're a guest here, you're a visitor, and you think, man, I got beat up today. But I don't want you to think about that. That's not the goal. My goal is for you to see the beauty of the picture. And so to think about it, on my left ring finger, I wear a wedding ring. This wedding ring has been on my hand since July 25th, 1998, the day that Susan and I got married, 20 years this summer. But this wedding ring symbolizes much more than an event. It symbolizes the courtship that led us to that event, from our first meeting at freshman, as freshmen at Union University to our times as really good friends at Union when we were not dating, but just the Lord provided us each other to be great friends. From my time working for her dad and being mentored by him in a church setting as my first real ministry job, to those moments during our junior and senior years at Union, when we realized that God might have more plans for us than just that we were going to be friends. From those moments of realizing that I didn't just like her as a friend, I loved her. To the time when we went shopping for rings and I kneeled in the foyer of her parents' house and asked her to marry me. To the whole planning process. And to that day when... Everyone that was there was there because they were celebrating with us our wedding. But it symbolizes even more than that. It symbolizes 20 years of doing life together since then. Of four kids when the doctors told us we could have none. Symbolizes God showing up in unexpected ways. And it shows moments, it symbolizes moments when it was very, very difficult. Through infertility issues, miscarriages and... Times of not knowing what God had for us when I'm done with seminary and I don't have a church to go to. When figuring out how we're going to make things, owning two houses when we couldn't really afford one. This ring represents more than an event on July 25th, 1998. And baptism is the same thing. It represents what God has done for us in Jesus and the journey we are on to become more and more like him. It's to identify with him. And it's an incredible, beautiful, glorious picture of being a part of the family of God. And so the question that comes at the end of a message like this is, do you need to be baptized? Maybe you're here and you're a young person and you've accepted Jesus Christ or you want to talk about that. You want to know what that means or you feel like you may be ready. Maybe you've talked to your mom and dad and you want to have a conversation with me or you've talked to your mom and dad and you're ready. I'd love to have that conversation with you down here or just talk to you about it or and explore whether you're ready for that or not. To ask questions about it. Maybe you're somebody that the church would never expect that you have been a part of this church or been around the church for a long time, but you've never been baptized after salvation and now is the time that you say you know what i don't know why i'm so hung up on that i just want to be obedient because in the new testament that's what it is it's a question of obedience i want to do that i want to be a part of that i'm not not necessarily join the church you can do that we can talk about that but just i want to do that or maybe you're somebody that's just trying to figure all this out 
And you want to have a conversation or you want to come and pray. In just a minute, we're going to have a time of response. We're actually going to do a couple of things in that response time. First of all, we are going to have a moment where you can come and have a conversation with me. Talk to me. We can set up a time to talk or tell me something that the Lord has laid on your heart. I'll be glad to have that conversation down here at the front. But the second thing is it's also going to be a time. And this is always a cool thing to do in our time of time of family worship. But if you've come today prepared to give an offering, we're also going to take our offering during this time. So they're going to be um, down here at the front. They're going to be uh, our offering plates. And you can just bring your offering and place it there. There are other ways you can give. You can bring it by the office during the week. Um, you can give on your way out today. You can give online. All that information is in our um, bulletin. Let's take this moment to respond to the mercy and the grace of God. And for you, maybe you're a Christian that's already been baptized. You're like, awesome, that's confirmed, all that. But today, you just want to commit your life to live for him with a little more gratitude for who he is and what he's done. Let's pray together.